homeschool expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast. Hi, friend, and welcome to Homeschool Expert. I'm glad you're here today to join our conversation with guest expert, Dean Sue. Sue is the Dean of Students at Duke University for 40 years and is now the Associate Vice President of Student Affairs at Duke. She's also an author of Getting the Best Out of College, and in the process of collaborating for the book, Sue and I researched the question of how universities across the United States perceive homeschooled applicants as well as their success on campus. Our research concluded in a timely way around the same period when colleges nationwide were beginning to redesign their evaluation process for incoming students in light of COVID. So our conversation today is relevant, not only to families learning from home, but to parents trying to understand how universities will be assessing students as a result of academic and extracurricular limitations during COVID. Sue has an incredibly unique perspective of the college campus. Not only is she currently living as faculty in residence in one of the freshman halls at Duke, she's actually been at Duke since the age of 18 when she arrived as a freshman. So she has a very deep view of what it means over the last 40 plus years to devote a life to the pursuit of education. Sue, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. I'm really looking forward to digging into this topic with you. Thanks, Anne. As you know, I'm always delighted to speak with you and particularly to talk about this topic. Thank you. Yeah, it's such an important and timely one right now with uh, with everything going on in the world. So before you and I jump into the conversation, I just want to update you, you know, listener here. Sue and I met around 15 years ago on our first project together when we published the first edition of our book, Getting the Best Out of College. So Sue, can you talk more just as a background uh, about how that project got started to give listeners just some history on where our conversation is coming from today? It's hard to believe that uh, it was 15 years ago, but it was that we first (laughs) started working on that book. And it was probably 10 years prior to that, that uh, the first conversation about that book took place. And that was between uh, me and Peter Fever, uh, the other co-author of Getting the Best Out of College, Peter being a professor of political science at Duke. And he and I Mm -hmm. would bump into each other at the gym all the time. And we would talk about students. We would talk about students' approach to the college experience. And he would say, you know, we really need to write a book together because I'm a professor (laughs) and you're a dean. And this um, faculty administrative perspective would just be so, so unique. And we could give such great advice to students. Um, And so we brought you on board, Anne. Uh, Again, that conversation took place over about a 10-year period of time. and you were the you were the catalyst for getting that book completed. Uh, we oh, were thanks. quite fortunate to have uh, Coach K write the foreword to the book. We had some great blurbs of the book, including one from um, uh, Bob Woodward. And, yeah, they were uh, both so supportive. It was awesome. Very, very, very much. So, yeah, uh, the book has been out. It's still out, and uh, we're delighted to have finished it and uh, and to have a second edition out. In fact, yeah. Yeah, it's done really well and it's been helpful uh, to a lot of students trying to figure out how to maximize the investment that college is. It's worth, you know, it's worth a lot of money, so do it right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the things that we did not anticipate, at least I didn't anticipate with the book, is that it would be so popular with parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at the time, no one had really published 
a book when we published that one about how to maximize your investment in college. All the books at that point were how to get into college. What you were supposed to do once you got there hadn't really been developed uh, until we hit the shelves. And similarly, a lot of this research that we're discussing today about the university perspective of homeschoolers, and then especially the university perspective of students in light of COVID, hasn't really had a lot of information published on it in the past. So this is a new topic in a lot of ways uh, for listeners, which is why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. So Sue, up until now, um, like I was just saying, nobody has really published this this perspective of how homeschoolers are perceived on campus, at least, you know, not that we've been able to find in large quantity. So especially now when 72% of parents are considering schooling from home, which is more than 40 million students, you know, through the K-12 window, the long view of this picture of how this will affect success in college later on is this practical question we're addressing today. And to answer that question, you and I spoke to the Dean of Admissions at Duke University, the Vice Provost uh, at the University of North Carolina, Oregon State University, and Washington University in St. Louis. And um, each of them had such unique perspectives that aligned in really interesting ways, I felt, uh, as well as gave us something different to look at as well. And so I'll ask you to jump in there in a moment. But before we do, I also want to add that those deans represented not only their current schools, but have careers at multiple other universities, such as University of Pennsylvania, the University of Virginia, Johns Hopkins, Northeastern, University of Wyoming, and University of Maryland. So, so far, we've heard some really interesting perspectives on homeschoolers from them, as well as getting specific advice about how homeschoolers can tailor their applications so that it's easily comparable within the applicant pool. And then, of course, all this became super relevant um, in light of COVID, thinking about how do people restructure college applications. So let's start with the overview part first. Um, based on our interview, Sue, what would you say is the overall university perspective of homeschool applicants, and how is it different now than it was in the 80s and 90s when homeschooling was first gaining momentum based on the conversations you're having on campus as well as our research? Yeah, it's very interesting, I think, to consider this question because I do think now in the year 2020, we have a very different perspective on homeschooled students in general than we did back in the 80s or the 90s. Mm-hmm. And that shift is that we've been able to experience and see and observe great success from homeschool students. Mm-hmm. Um, they, in many ways, are no different uh, than non-homeschooled students. Uh, they present at the university as being very mature, very independent, very prepared, um, and I think back in the 80s and 90s, there was a real concern, maybe even a fear, an Mm -hmm. apprehension um, that students that had been homeschooled might not come uh, to a college or university campus, perhaps with the same social skills, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps with the same experience of interacting with their peers. Um, And what, you know, what would they look like on a college campus? How would they do? How would they survive? How, you know, just what would their experience look like? And um, my sense today, and I think you will reiterate this when you and we talk about the interviews with all the folks that you've mentioned, um, those fears and concerns just don't exist today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're correct on that. And one of the reasons I loved that we were able to interview those four specific deans and directors was because each of them have been in this world for the last 30 years. So they can really see that full arc that you're talking about, right? Of the eighties to nineties, how it's changed to be 
different now. And and do you want to take this quote too from um, Dean Christoph Gutentag at Duke University, who uh, you know he's been there thirty years. He has a broad perspective on how admissions have developed in those three decades. And and I thought what he had to say was really compelling. So. I'm happy to pass that one to you if you want to read yeah, that off. I, I love this quote. I think we both do. And I, I really would like to share it. I, I just want to add one thing. And that is do that yeah. the deans and the provostial people that we spoke with all related to admissions, um, not only were representing sort of what they've experienced at the four schools where they are right now, but they had been at a number of different schools right. prior to their current position. So they truly did represent a very, very broad base mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a broad perspective of experiences. But Dean Christoph Gutentag at Duke um, said uh, in a very compelling way, I remember decades ago in the 80s when I was just getting started in admissions, sitting at the table with the dean of admissions for an elite, well-established Ivy League saying, We are unsure about the social adjustment of homeschoolers, making it clear that admissions officers had a higher bar and that homeschoolers didn't fit within that norm. The social element that played out in college admissions in the early 1980s was for selective private universities uh, were not very diverse. It was, in fact, quite homogeneous. Back then, the question was whether or not an applicant would, quote, fit in. The notion of creating a student body of community-conscious students from a wide variety of backgrounds so they can learn from each other and build a broader community was not a part of our ethos then as it is now. Mm. Yeah, and that was so good. And and so he was stating that it wasn't Duke-specific, right? He was talking about universities nationwide. That was the viewpoint, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and not only uh, was that the case then, pretty much across the board. Uh, but the way that things are being dealt with now mm-hmm. uh, is also across the board. Right. And that one makes of the, sense. it does. And it was, it was kind of fun because in the course of the three of us talking, he had a light bulb moment where he said, you know, I'm just now realizing that around the same time that we began to diversify our approach to all applicants, paralleled with when we diversified our acceptance of homeschool students as well, saying, you know what, there's something more than just getting people to fit in. We want a broad community of voices who have diverse educational experiences and backgrounds. And so whereas before being homeschooled was um, a challenge, (laughs) you're applying for college. Now it was actually a plus. It was like, oh, you will have been educated differently. We don't want students just because they're different, but we actually value the differences. And that the timing of those two, that was more, that wasn't just homeschooler, uh, diversity, but it was ethnic diversity and religious diversity, and right all those different um, backgrounds that the university said we want that benefited homeschoolers at the same time, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, and that was fun to be a part of that light bulb moment with him. I thought so. When we look at homeschool applicants now, then Dean Renee Turner from WashU had an excellent perspective of how to think about them now. And I'll read her quote here, and then Sue, do you want to comment on that one when I'm done? Will do. Okay, so she said, over time, college admissions professionals have become more and more familiar with welcoming homeschool applications. Way back when I first started, we were perplexed. What is this and how do we measure this? It was out of the norm from what a lot of institutions were doing. But as more institutions encountered more and more applications and there became more advocacy for homeschooled students, institutions worked to learn how to best evaluate and support them. When we first started, it might have been harder to evaluate a homeschool student 
but now there is no reaction to it negatively. As an institution, we value diversity and the students from different perspectives, so we know that it will require more on our part. In general, I find the profession has been very accepting and welcoming of homeschool applications. So do you want to comment on that one? And I think um, Dean Turner is is right on the money with Mm -hmm. this particular quote. It's exactly what I have observed. It's exactly what I have experienced uh, through a student affairs perspective and with my close working with the Office of Admissions here at Duke. Um, As you mentioned um, previously, and as she mentions in this quote, homeschool students bring a different perspective, they bring a different experience, um, and they have and will continue to contribute so richly to the diversity of the student body. Um, And that is what we're looking for. Um, That is exactly what we're looking for is just that difference, again, not for the sake of difference, Mm -hmm. but for the sake of creating the richest experience that we possibly can for all students. Yeah, on campus, that holistic campus perspective. Yeah, and I think even um, when we talked to the dean at OSU, uh, Noah Buckley, his point was we actually um, look for homeschool students in a lot of ways, right? Their honors college, he said, admits more homeschooled students than any other place at OSU because they have found them to be so productive. They are largely, you know, on general whole, it's dangerous anytime we paint general brushstrokes of a group of people, but he's like on a whole, um, you know, they're self-motivated, self-disciplined. Uh, they have a love for learning and a passion about the information. And we love having them in our honors college. They do really, really well there. So um, lots of different feedback on that particular question. So then from what you've heard in our conversation, Sue, what did you think were the challenges that homeschoolers face in applying that might be different from what historically we heard they faced in the past? Because um, it seems like we can give some practical advice based on what we learned through these interviews about building a strong application. And then, of course, this will extend to those students who are listening who are not homeschooled, but who are doing remote learning from home or dealing with COVID school. Um, how do we how do they create an application that's going to be compelling and unique in the midst of all that's going on? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's not necessarily one that's uh, easy to answer, but I think uh, throughout the rest of the podcast, this is going to fall into place mm-hmm. in terms of really what homeschoolers can do in their application. I'm going to answer this very briefly, Anne, and just say uh, my sense, particularly after listening to and interviewing uh, the deans of admissions that we did, is that authenticity mm, is a key. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really at the heart of the application. Um, and, you know, homeschoolers just need to present exactly who they are, what they've done, what's important to them. And again, I think we'll, we'll, we will touch on all of that um, as we continue. Yeah, I agree. That's a good umbrella point to make. And I would probably just um, piggyback on that one and say authenticity and then developing a narrative, which is funny because that's something that we talked a lot about in our book, Getting the Best Out of College, right? How do you develop a narrative with your life, with your student years that you can have a conversation point when you're, it's time to write an essay or be interviewed to get on campus, um, depending on how the university goes forward, right? If they say, what did you do during COVID to pursue your passions and better yourself? Be great to have an answer. It, <laughs> it's not it so is. much that one answer is better than another. Like if you decided to do this cause or that thing or learn how to build a raspberry pie or learn how to bake raspberry pies, they don't care. They just want to know you use the time well, right? Yeah, and I, I think it's really important for students to understand that all of us continue to develop our stories and our narratives throughout mm-hmm. our lives. You know, this isn't just a, uh, a snapshot. Uh, this continues. It's, 
it's something that we always need to think about, you know, how do we tell our story, but do it in a genuine, authentic way. Um, It was very clear in our interviews that, as you just mentioned, there isn't one thing or two things or 10 things that the um, admissions offices are looking for. Mm -hmm. They are just looking for that, that story that, that, that truly, truly gives a window into who the student is mm-hmm. um, and and what they deem to be important. And again, if that means they learned how to sew, they learned how to knit, they learned how to do magic tricks, uh, right. they learned how to meditate and reflect, um, they learned how to pick up trash along the highway. Um, it doesn't matter. What's right. Tell most us why. Important, yeah, right. it, it's most important to say, uh, this is what I did, and this is why I did what I did. Yeah, and Steve Farmer at UNC piggybacked onto that one as well, right? When he said, if we've got homeschooled applicants who actually don't have traditional extracurriculars on their transcript, and this is, of course, outside of COVID, this part of the conversation, they couldn't do sports, they couldn't do robotics, they couldn't do a lot of the standards because their parents needed them at home to care for seven younger siblings and have the farm and you know, it's a very different sort of application. He said, we don't want them to pretend that that wasn't their life. We want them to lean into that and tell us, how were you a leader at home? What sort of discipline and diligence did that require? And what did it mean to be part of a team, right, within your family? Don't hack off that appendage and pretend that you're somebody you're not. Please be that person. We want to see that because those life skills are relevant to who you're going to be on campus, even if we have no cows for you to milk here or siblings. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. But sharing those personal circumstances Mm -hmm. and then relating sort of your role and your reaction as the applicant to those personal circumstances is key in the application process. Right. Yeah. So let's jump into some of the application pointers then, because I think that's a really great, um, you know, overview that we can give listeners. So I know at one point, all of our experts confirmed this one no-no, right, which was on the area of letters of recommendation. They almost all started at this point, which I thought was great. Um, they, When it comes time to get a letter of recommendation, they want it to be from outside of the home. So Vice Provost Farmer at UNC had specific advice on this question. And so I've got a quote from him here, and it was really validated by all the others. So um, Sue, do you actually want to read this one? And then I can jump in on the comment when you're done. I do, Anne, and it makes enormous sense. I hope um, our listeners will feel the same. And this is what he said. It's helpful to us when people who aren't related to a candidate are able to help us understand something about the candidate. It's also helpful when people aren't being paid by the candidate or their parents directly, and they can tell us something about the candidate. No parent can see their child objectively. A letter from a parent is a letter from a parent. It isn't helpful as a letter from a principal. It isn't as helpful as a letter from a principal or a teacher. It isn't helpful in the way a letter from an employer could be as helpful. It's not that the parents aren't trying. It's that they they have a conflict of interest. The same is true of paid tutors or those instructing students individually. It's not the same thing as having someone assess assess your work who isn't obligated by payment or relationship to produce a product. Mm-hmm. We had about 205, ho- ho- whew, 205 homeschooled candidates, he said, apply this year. And it would not surprise me if a third to a half had letters from parents in their files. Mm-hmm. We're glad to receive them, but we read them as though we were writing them about our own children. 
Yeah, that was a shocking number. That's a lot of it letters from parents. It is a shocking number. But and what as I've you said makes so much sense. Yeah. And as I've dug into the homeschool community, unfortunately, this is being repeated. Like, yeah, it's great for parents to write letters. And so I really hope listeners pay attention to this point. It's not that the university doesn't trust the parents to. And I want to make this part really clear. At no point were the university professionals saying, we don't believe parents would tell the truth about their kids. The challenge was that because none of the other students had letters from their parents, they couldn't compare variables, that the parents knew the student far better than a teacher ever could. And so the parent was able to give insight into places that they couldn't compare with other students. And it was then unfair. And so to the extent that they're trying to level the playing field and evaluate students fairly across as many similar variables as they can, they don't want to introduce variables that that they can't match to other students. Did you feel like that's a, like, how would you clarify that? Because I want to make sure we're leading parents with the right perception of the university perspective of them as parents. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think it's just very, very clear and very obvious. And I think if parents think about it, they too will agree that they're in a conflict here. You know, they, they, they can't be completely and totally objective about their children. Um, they believe they are, they believe that they know. I mean, I, I hear this from parents every day. I know Mm -hmm. my child best Mm -hmm. and I don't question that. I don't think any of us question that they do know their child best. Um, and yet, and yet their, their sons and their daughters need to be evaluated in light of all the other applicants, um, and in light of uh, objective letters of recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be the first point. I think then the second point they gave to us, um, and this was, again, where all the experts encouraged applicants to think about preparing for college was in looking for ways to collaborate with peers on a project, to find opportunities for evaluation or grades that were beyond the norm so that it decreases their barriers for entry by including easily recognizable scoring methods, Um, whether it was the SAT, which now I realize is in question with COVID, but at some point we'll come back, or subject tests or AP exams, something to make it easy for them to say yes. So on the other side of COVID, I suspect this advice will come back into play. But in the meantime, university directors had other advice for students as they look to the application process through the lens of COVID. So to their quotes, I would add similar principles that you and I discussed in getting the best out of college, particularly around you know building a narrative that we spoke about a moment ago. So now more than ever, I suspect that admissions officers are going to look to that essay process wanting to know how students have taken advantage of the season of flexibility to better themselves and further develop areas of passion and interest. Um, Sue, do you have, like, have you heard of ways that students are doing that that you thought were compelling? Or do you have other thoughts on on the second point of looking to have peer opportunities to collaborate as part of your proof of self? Yeah, I mean, I think the peer opportunities are certainly an important way to approach um, the the time that students have had uh, with with the uh, with COVID, and you know, students trying to figure out exactly how they can distinguish themselves. But I think they can also distinguish themselves by really talking about ways in which they may have increased their own self awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how what have they learned about themselves during this period of COVID as, as they have been learning and studying remotely, um, maybe spending more time with their family, just what have they learned? Those are, I think, um, incredible ways in which they can shed a light on who they are and what they've learned. And I think that those are as valuable and as strong a way to represent themselves as saying, you know, I did this or I engaged in a particular activity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I really believe, I, I've read a lot of essays from students recently, not admissions essays, but just essays from students um, telling us what they have learned during this time that they've been away from campus, um, and they have been powerful. And most of what they've learned has really been about themselves. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what a great thing to be able to share on a college application um, because I think that that lets the admissions folks know that you're even more prepared in many ways to uh, to start the college experience. Yeah. These seasons of suffering lend themselves to an opportunity for maturity in new ways. So as much as we don't want to see our children suffer or any students suffer, uh, yeah, a lot of the challenges that COVID has presented have given our kids an opportunity to adapt, flex, um, be resilient, grow, and giving them a platform to explain that, I think, is is hugely valuable. Um, I think one of the proofs, too, Sue, that, that we found that colleges are perceiving homeschool applicants differently is that so many of them have developed resources on their websites um, that reach out specifically to homeschool students, right? Or they have admissions officers specific within their faculty that work with homeschool students who have questions about applications. So depending on where students are thinking about going, they can even get online now, freshman year in high school, and begin to look ahead at what those universities might be considering. Um, So scrolling down here on some of these quotes. So in addition, um, our experts made some other suggestions, right, such as researching admissions, like I just talked about at potential universities, prior to the freshman year in high school, which I know sounds early, but their reasons for saying that was if, if you're going into your freshman year in high school, find out what the short list of curriculums are that universities recognize so that you can lower that barrier to entry. So if we only know what these six curriculum companies are, it might be worth choosing one of them so that when you show us your grades from that company, we know how to measure that. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, families have to pick one of those six. But again, if you're trying to lower barriers to entry, you'd probably be smart to do so. And there is overlap from one university to the next in terms of which curricula um, they all can recognize and respect. So that was one point that they gave us. Uh, And then Sue, Vice Provost Turner had an excellent quote as well with a suggestion about how to engage on campus. Do you want to read her quote next? Yeah, another good one. Find the admissions officer responsible for your territory and engage with that person. It establishes relationship and interest in the university and will give you an opportunity to learn from that university's perspective how you should approach the process as it pertains to their campus. University admissions officers are often eager to engage. Most people don't realize that we are happy to do that. I don't think a lot of people realize, Anne, that um, there is actually an admissions officer who is assigned to a particular state or territory. That is generally the way that they are organized and arranged. And so uh, I think uh, Dean Turner here really, really um, encourages students to find out who that person is and to establish uh, that relationship, you know, to go ahead. It's going to be via email, generally speaking, or by phone. Um, It's not necessarily, never has been necessarily in person. Um, But to stay in touch with that person, you know, actually feel as though you can ask questions and that you can keep that person updated as to what's happening in your life, particularly if right. something has changed since uh, you submitted your application. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and as a student, I used to think that it was like the bat cave, right? Nobody really knows where the admissions officers <laughs> are. You're not supposed to ask, but it felt like it was cheating almost to, to try to reach out to them. And so I agree when we spoke with her, that was surprising to me 
even, um, and, and that's with me having worked with a lot yeah. of college no. uh, professionals and faculty and saying, wow, you, you actually want them to reach out. So even now in, in COVID for families who intend to go back to school uh, in a traditional way, when COVID is gone, they could even reach out to these admissions professionals saying, hey, we're really concerned. We want to make sure that we are prioritizing what is important to you as a university um, as we're thinking through our narrative. How can we think about that? Because one of the points also that uh, Renee Turner made for us, which was great, was each university sort of has their own flavor or theme of what they value, right? And where she is now, she was saying it's very much around peer collaboration, whereas other universities where she's worked, it was very much about the independent learner. Um, I don't know if you've heard of other themes, Sue, that you want to tag on to that, but but it was really important then to students to find out what is the theme that's most important to the university. Not that you're trying to copycat and be who they want you to be, but so you can be mindful at least that as you're building your story, these are elements you can discuss, right? Right. And it's also a way for students to decide whether in fact they really want to apply to a particular school. Great point. Because yeah. It- because if it's not consistent with who they are and what they want to do, and that is a theme of the institution, then they mm-hmm. may want to they may want to move in a different direction um, from that particular school. So I think there's the other side of that um, as well. Uh, it's really interesting, though, to think about an admissions officer right now today during this COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, they they don't have the benefit of traveling. They are not going to schools right now. They are not meeting with college counselors, and they're not able to meet with students individually or with parents. So to be able to share with them uh, via email, uh, by phone, you know, anything that you wish to do is, is really actually in many ways uh, advantageous to the student. Mm-hmm. Uh, the admissions officer is a captive audience right now. Yes. Yeah. And they're eager to help. This They want to say yes. They're just trying to find the way to say yes to, uh, to these applicants. So even then, as parents are looking ahead to the college admissions process, these next few years, and you know how many years is anyone's guess at this point, um, let's talk a minute then about how parents and students can prepare for the impending flexibility of this new season. So on the one hand, for students who never consider tests their forte, this may actually be the best season of all time to apply for college. And for those who are banking on high test scores to get in, now they have to think more creatively about making themselves stand out from the crowd. So how can we advise those two categories of students, Sue, who are now being handed a new set of game rules to play with? Yeah, um, the rules are are changing a bit and there you know, are different ways, as we said, to communicate with the admissions office. But I think at the end of the day, uh, they are still looking for the same thing, and that is a truthful, genuine, authentic representation of who the student is. And I I don't want to overlook that. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we've got a great quote here I'll slide down to from Dean Gutentag on that one, where he's, I remember when we asked him this question, he goes, oh, you're getting me on one of my favorite soapboxes. (laughs) What does the college want for me to get in? He said, every student wants that silver bullet of whichever extracurricular looks best on their college application. And I understand that. Coming out of middle school, most students want to be either invisible or alpha. So the advantage for the homeschooler is eliminating that mental barrier when asking the question, what matters to you and what are you going to do about it? We can tell if a student is doing something because it matters to him or because he thinks it matters to someone else. And in a funny way, homeschoolers are at an advantage because they don't have to worry about the culture of their school and extracurricular selection based on peer bias or what's cool. Homeschoolers tend to choose what matters to them. 
And that's his end of quote. So even as universities are saying we recognize that these homeschoolers can can pick their passions in a unique way, now that actually extends to those who have not traditionally been homeschooled as well because of the remote learning happening at home. I love his last sentence here, as you just said, homeschoolers tend to choose what matters to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would hope and I would invite folks to really uh, hear that and see that. And for those students who, again, may not have necessarily been homeschooled, sort of funny to say homeschooled in a traditional way, um, but are now, <laughs> but are now yeah. finding themselves, uh-huh. you know, at school, at home, yep. um, they need to hear this too. Mm-hmm. They need to choose what matters to them. Absolutely. And in this season, as with all other seasons, everybody makes mistakes somewhere. And so again, in the, in the you know, heart of being genuine with an application, they also emphasize, tell your true story. If you've made a mistake, so much better for you to tell us that in the application and tell us what you've learned and why you're not going to repeat it than for us to find out accidentally, because we're not going to come to you and ask for your side of the story. Once we see it's there, that you tried to hide it, we're just going to move on to the next candidate. Um, And so in the spirit of authenticity, Stu, how do you advise students to talk about the harder things or the choices they regret as well? Well, I I will answer that question, but I also want to say that some of my saddest moments have been meeting with students, um, with the folks in admissions uh, here at Duke, who didn't tell their whole Mm -hmm. story, who failed to tell uh, something that we really wanted to know and needed to know. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fearful that it would hurt their application. And at the end of the day, what hurt their application was the fact that they failed to share it with us. Right. So that value of telling not just the true story, but the truth um, yes. and is, integrity. is yeah. so, so important. Um, so, yeah, I, I will quote here something that uh, – that uh, Steve Farmer said from UNC, and that is, I have some advice about what I hope students won't do. <laughs> yeah. I hope they won't try to be the same as everyone else. Let's say one family's choice of homeschooling was because they wanted their child to spend more time together or their children to spend more time together and wanted the children to take more responsibility for each other so that they emerge from adolescence with a different kind of relationship than the one they would have had if they hadn't been homeschooled. I think Mm -hmm. it is good for a student in that circumstance circumstance to come to us whose life has been built around the home to talk about looking after younger siblings and chores as an extracurricular and something that is important to them. And you said that earlier, Anne really is. He goes on to say, it is who the student is and who we hope will come to us, not a student trying to hack off an appendage or grow a limb in order to look like everybody else. I hope students generally do what is best, making them smarter and healthier and helping them to develop a sense of themselves and allowing them to prepare to make the difference they are called to make in this world. We don't Mm -hmm. approach candidates thinking they all need to make the same difference in the world or have to prepare the same way to enter college. We try to fit ourselves to the circumstances of kids. Um, And that's a two-way street, as he's trying to say. You know, we're trying to meet folks where they are, not trying to tell people exactly where they need to be. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. No, none of the officers, the admissions office, think that they are admitting saints. <laughs> I don't think anybody's surprised. They just don't want to see the habit of you know poor choices being repeated, and repeated. But all of us have made mistakes. Um, so yeah, I love his his quote too. That was excellent. So then you know I've got my mini soapbox here then Sue, and then I'd love to have you jump back in. But it seems with COVID as the backdrop, and I know we've kind of said this before, but I just really want to keep hitting on this point. 
based on what we're hearing, perhaps the best thing students can do with this unusual season is to use the time wisely, right? Don't be on Fortnite six hours a day or whatever your video game of choice is. And I realize as Pollyanna as it sounds, we should really try to see the changes of COVID perhaps as an opportunity uh, to develop interests and present ourselves differently. For many students, I recognize the limitations of COVID may turn out to be an advantage, you know, even for those outside the traditional system, looking for a way to exemplify unique strengths. And so to the extent that students can use the season to build into their genuine narrative of passions and interests, you and I would both encourage them to go for it. But to have some sort of story to tell at the end of how you got through COVID. Was it taking an extra job to help support your family? Fabulous, right? Was it doing a deep dive into a subject area you otherwise wouldn't have had time to study? That's wonderful. Was it looking for a way to give back to your community or your neighborhood or family during a season of stress? Definitely lean into that. Um, find ways to be a life giver, even if college isn't on the horizon, right? If you this vocational training or you want to eventually become a plumber, the world needs plumbers. Um, all of us should be striving to do this. And I want to encourage listeners to find ways to strengthen themselves and to be life learners. So like that famous poem that we've talked about in the past too, so, you know, Ithaca by Kavafi, where it says, keep Ithaca always in your mind. Arriving there is what you're destined for, but don't hurry the journey at all. Um, as our experts, you know, unanimously agreed on this, the passion in the journey is going to be evident when it comes time to apply. So like, that's my one soapbox that <laughs> I think about everything we talked to them about. Um, I keep coming back to. So your turn for a question now. So your turn for a soapbox. Um, one of the questions you consistently ask in interviews that I would love you to share here, uh, because I thought it was so great, was for anecdotal evidence about the presence of homeschoolers on campus. Can you talk to that part about how they reacted, um, they being the college admissions officers and deans we spoke to? Because uh, I know they did a lot of research ahead of time, even. We sent them these questions in advance. They went out and looked for anecdotes to come back and talk to us. So what did we find? Well, we found out, um, and, and I was delighted to hear this, and but not surprised, that overall they didn't really recall any anecdotes. And I was really focusing on the negative, you know, where there's mm -hmm. some negative things that they had heard about. And they really hadn't. Um, you know, again, as we mentioned earlier, back in the 80s and the 90s, there was this concern that, you know, maybe uh, uh, homeschooled students just wouldn't be able to be quite as prepared socially. And none of those things came forward whatsoever. Um, and they, they all to a person said that, um, you know, homeschooled students contribute uh, as much as anyone else and if times if not more uh, to the life of the institution. Yeah. So then overall, you know, based on our interview, Sue, if parents are trying to weigh the value of homeschooling their child or remote learning or all the different options right now, um, especially as they're thinking ahead to college, even if their child's in middle school, what advice would you give them? Wow, that's a great question. Um, that's such a personal decision. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's, a, it's a question that the parent has to ask what's best for the family right now um, and what's best for uh, my child in light of what's best for the family. But I guess the way that I would answer that question is that um, I would not hesitate to homeschool my son or my daughter or my sons and my daughters and both mm -hmm. um, if, in fact, they felt that that was in the best interest of the family and of the student right now. Um, it is not going to be held against them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, as we mentioned from the very, from the get-go of this interview, um, it could uh, contribute to the diversity of the institution. Uh, so again, I I um, I think that we've we've arrived at a point where uh, we all feel you and I I know you do and certainly I do feel as though a homeschool education can be as valuable if not more valuable to a student and it's really going to depend on their individual circumstances. Yeah, and that's rightly said. Which I know for some may sound like we're just sweeping things under the rug, but but we genuinely aren't. Every student is so unique and their needs so different that there is no equation we could hand out that would solve this problem that everyone is facing. Um, I really liked how Steve Farmer um, at UNC said this too at one point. It was so hope-filled where he said, we aren't going to hold students to some impossible pre-pandemic standard. We weren't doing that before, but certainly not now. We will remember this time, and I hope that we will have the humanity to try to understand the choices parents made and the influences that had on their students. Having said all that, I think happy students learn and grow more. I hope that as parents are making choices, they will focus not only on what they're doing to position their children to be happy when they're 25 or 45, but positioning them for what they need to be happy right now. For some students, that might be going back to school, even when there's a health risk. For others, it might be that they really need to be home with their parents. That may not sound helpful, but it goes back to this principle of do what you want. Um, and so I, I, I loved that he framed it that way, that we're not going to forget no, what everybody's I, been through. Yeah. And, you know, I know that this is a little off, off topic, but it, it's not really. Students who are currently in college mm-hmm. have the same concern and same fear. I'm not able yeah. to do all the things that I thought I was going to be able to do. My internship, my mentorship, yes. my study abroad. How am I going to explain that to graduate schools and to future employers? And our message to them is people are not going to forget Mm -hmm. this period of time. And there is a a sense of grace and a sense sense of understanding that I'm not sure we in education have had to the extent that we do now of, Mm -hmm. of all of that. So, again, it's not an excuse. It's not, well, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, but it's just an understanding that things aren't as they've always been. And so uh, admissions folks are pivoting and shifting just as everyone else's. Yeah. And I'm glad you incorporated the grad students as well into that conversation because you're right. It is a worry. How am I going to get the career I've been building towards for the last 15 years now with all this in the way? And there is no beauty in a global pandemic. So please don't mishear that. But the natural consequence of it being global is in fact that all of us are affected by this and all of us are adapting. So to the extent that terrible message can be hopeful, um, you know, we're, we're trying, we're not trying to just find the silver lining for the sake of finding it. We're trying to find it for the sake of making the best decisions possible. So Sue, then what would your parting comments be to students who are either applying to college in this season, right, as high school students or who are thinking about it, even as eighth graders looking forward saying, oh my goodness, this pandemic could go on for a couple of years and how should I be thinking about this heading into my high school career? Yeah, um, my advice is very simple. Take one day at a time. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> take, yeah. a deep, take a deep breath, um, but also recognize that uh, this period of time may in fact, and, and I'm now contradicting take one day at a time, but it, it may in fact require a little bit more intentional planning. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not be able to do all the things that you wanted to do in person, whether those are jobs or internships or um, tutoring or whatever the case might be. 
But really, I would I would encourage students to uh, again identify what matters most to them, and then figure out a way to approach that and mm-hmm. to hopefully accomplish it um, and make a difference. It may need to be remote. Um, it may need to be from home base. Uh, but there are still so many things that we can do remotely that matter. Yeah. Um, and so that would be my very simple advice. Uh, again, the authenticity, the genuineness is so key, so key to the application process. For students who are in the seventh or eighth or ninth grade, uh, not sure how long this pandemic is going to last, um, who may be uh, you know, not applying to college for a number of years, I think it would be behoove them, frankly, at this point to actually maybe even keep a journal, keep hmm. some notes, um, and be able to reflect on not just what they may be doing, but how they're feeling right now. That's and great. be able to look back on that when their college application time arrives, um, because they could be able to incorporate even some of those emotional responses into their college application essays. That's a great point, Sue. We hadn't even talked about that in ahead of time. I love that. <laughs> Goes right into play with the self-learning um, that you were describing earlier, it's, the maturity of showing that you know who you are or more of who you are as a result of this. I'm finding that in so many of the classes that I'm teaching right now and so many of the classes that uh, my colleagues are teaching, we are trying to incorporate much, much more reflection. Mm-hmm. And so I think that reflective uh, opportunity that our eighth and ninth graders have, and and of course the tenth and eleventh and twelfth graders have, um, is really an important thing to consider right now. Yeah, and so in talking about intentionality, um, when I taught in the high school system, one of the courses I taught my students in their spare time was how to goal set, right? How to set goals, and there are two ways of thinking about intentionality. You can either be the kind of person who's a bottom up thinker, where it's like you were saying, Sue, one step at a time one day at a time, or you're a top-down thinker where you can see the landscape 50 miles away of where you want to get, but you've got to figure the steps. And first stop would be figure out which type of natural thinker you are. Are you top-down or bottom-up in setting goals? But don't restrict yourself, right, to being that sort of a goal setter. Um, Say, okay, I'm I'm a bottom-up type of a person. I can think of next steps. So that means I'm not going to be able to set a 20-year plan, (laughs) but I could sure set a one-year plan and start with that or, or lay out of this, this net of what are the different things I want to test out first to see if those are a good fit. And then it's kind of like choose your own adventure, go from there. But there are different ways to be intentional, whether or not you can see way down the road or you can just see your toes, um, but yeah. still trying to be thoughtful yeah. about it, right? Yeah. And, and whether you're bottom up or top down, we are living right now in such a period of uncertainty. Yeah, um, such a bottom-up so, season. <laughs> yeah, and it is a bottom-up season, but but even so, uh, we are called upon daily to mm-hmm. adapt um, and to be resilient. Yeah, yeah. Or I hope we have a lot of good stories at the end of this season of how we've all grown and changed. What a season. Um, thank you, Sue, really, for coming back and helping me put all these good thoughts together so that we can encourage students and families, we can give them hope in this unusual season, and also give them really practical handlebars of, of how to navigate through it. I appreciate you making time to go through all this with me. Um, Anne, it's it's always a delight to talk with you, and uh, I don't know if your listeners can tell, but uh, you are an inspiration. 
<laughs> thanks. That's very kind of you. Yeah. And thank you, friend, for joining us. We're so glad that you were with us in this conversation today, and we look forward to the next conversation. Thanks for joining Ann Crossman on our podcast, helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. We invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.